Coming up, there's plenty of intrigue in the NBA as two key players from last year's NBA Finals teams are down with injury. A shocking retirement from Villanova coach Jay Wright. We're eight days away from the end of the regular season in the NHL. Who has the inside track to secure a wild card spot in each conference? Wide receivers in the NFL unite as two big stars are looking for payday similar to Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill. There's some baseball and even a little bit of tennis. Glad to have you stop in to get your sports fix on the 250th episode. Another milestone here for the J Reels podcast. It's all on deck. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, to my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we are here on another Thursday, actually the 250th episode. Can you believe it? For those who have been with me from the beginning, I welcome you guys and gals back. And for those who are just new to the game, welcome aboard. Glad to have you stop by to get your fill on everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast. What I got on tap, quite a bit here since Monday. Obviously, the NBA playoffs will be front and center. I'll get to that in a minute. But we have some other developments that have taken place pretty much over the last 24 to 48 hours when it comes to Jay Wright and his retirement from Villanova, which was a shock. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I guess it was time for him to step down, or in this case, step up, as he's going to, I believe, work with the university's president. So we'll touch on that later on, as well as what's going on in tennis. That's right, Wimbledon, which is not until the end of June, so you still have the French Open, and you got to wonder whether or not the French will do the same thing as the Old England Club is going to ban players from Russia or Belarus to participate in the Wimbledon tournament. So I'm actually on the fence with that as of right this moment, but as we get toward the end of the podcast, I'll touch on that. Of course, what's happening in the NHL, Major League Baseball, etc., But the NBA is in a very interesting spot because you have some series, as we talked about on Monday and even last week, to where it looks like you're going to have a series in Philadelphia and sooner than later with Toronto and Philly. You have Golden State and Denver, which they'll have a Game 3 tonight. And unless Nikola Jokic pulls out a giant rabbit out of his hat just to get them a little bit closer in the series, that could be one that may wrap up by the weekend. And then you have what took place yesterday in Boston with the Celtics beating the Nets, coming back from a first-half deficit, 17 points, to where they rallied behind guys like Peyton Pritchard, Grant Williams, Jalen Brown was more the hero this time around than Jason Tatum on Sunday. And I'll touch on the Nets-Celtic game as well, but when we look at the NBA Finals teams from last year and where they are right now, there's a little uncertainty with both of these squads, whether you're in Phoenix or in Milwaukee, based on game two between the Pelicans and Suns to where Devin Booker tweaked the hamstring to where he's going to be out the next two games. And with those two games being played in New Orleans, not to say that New Orleans is this hotbed 
for basketball or has this strong home court advantage. But you have to wonder, as an eighth seed and a team that had come out of nowhere, considering where they started at the beginning of the year and everything swirling around that team regarding Zion Williamson, his dedication, etc., they're putting themselves in a very good position. Is it too much to say an upset? It's only two games in. I think Phoenix is going to prevail. But when Devin Booker is going to be out and is their key scorer, no matter how you slice it, because even with Chris Paul, the leader of that team, at the tender age of 37, I believe in a couple of weeks, he's going to be expected to carry the load, but that's a guy who's going to facilitate. He's going to create his own shot, yes, but there aren't many other guys on that team that's going to take the ball in a big spot and say, I'm going to carry us home, just get out of my way, I got this. And with Booker out for these next two games, the one thing when you look at an injury like a hamstring, now they say it is mild, but we all know, similar to high ankle sprains in football, those suckers never heal. And I get it with a lot of the training methods and with the way recovery is in 2022, it's going to be a lot faster than it was 10, 15, 20, even 30 years ago. I get it. But with basketball, we all know the type of sport it is. You have to run up and down the court. You have to make cuts, all that. And even though Devin Booker is young, but this is an injury that we're going to have to pay attention to because this sucker could crop up at any point throughout the rest of this postseason, depending on how far the Suns go. So yes, they probably will survive this series. And they'll move on and see what kind of Devin Booker they're going to get. And understood that even 70% of Devin Booker is better than a lot of guys in the league. But when you look at the Suns and what they've done all year to get that one seed, to be able to be that team that not only was the best in the NBA, but are pretty much the front runners to win the whole thing, this could be a significant blow on whether or not they even get to a final, let alone win it. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. And then as far as the Milwaukee Bucks go, in the fourth quarter of yesterday's game against the Bulls, Chris Middleton leaves with is right now deemed an MCL injury where an MRI today will show how severe that this injury could be. MCLs, they could go anywhere between two to six weeks. And if that's a mild sprain, it could be a scenario where you only may miss, let's say, the rest of the series if it goes deep. Remember last year where I believe it was... Game two in the Eastern Conference Final between the Hawks and Bucks, where Giannis suffered that injury and it looked like he was going to be out for a long period of time. And at first it was feared to be an MCL injury and then he took a couple days off and I believe in game five is when he actually came back and played in the series. So that's what the Bucks are hoping for right now as not only the organization, the team, but the whole city. They're holding their collective breaths to make sure that this isn't an injury where it's going to hurt them long-term for a chance to repeat as NBA champions. And right, he's not Giannis, but he's a key component on that team as the second guy. And if you're going to pull him off, a guy that's going to play the perimeter, who's going to play behind the stripe, yes, he can attack the basket at times, but we all know he's going to be a kickout guy mid-range to beyond the three-point line. Having him out of the lineup is a severe blow for a team that obviously has repeat on their minds. And without him, it's going to be a tall order. So those are two things that have happened here over the last couple of nights that we have to really pay attention to if both of these teams are on a collision course for a repeat uh, as far as meeting up in an NBA final. And not only that, but just in each other's conference because as we said last week, Phoenix pretty much has a straight path to an NBA final where, yes, I get Golden State could be a team to threaten that opportunity for the Suns to get back to the championship round, as well as Memphis, the young upstart team that is looking to make hay here in this postseason. But with the Suns and also with the Bucks, those are two teams right now that are facing some critical points here early in the postseason with some injuries, and we will see how that plays out. On the flip side of that, we have some encouraging news out of Dallas to where Luka Doncic is feeling a lot better. He is zeroing in on a return tonight, Game 3 in Utah. And as I said earlier in the week, 
We know with Cavs, those suckers could go at any time. It's a very tenuous spot there on the body, that lower part of the leg, where all you got to do is just tweak it one at a time, and who knows, you may be on the shelf for three, four weeks. Hopefully that's not the case for Luka. Hopefully that's not the case for the Mavs, and especially for the NBA fan who wants to see him perform at this level. Granted, it's only the first round, but you want to have your stars play in these games, and hopefully Luka comes back, even if he's 75 80%, but whatever he could put forth and contribute will definitely go a long way and maybe having a long series and maybe see Dallas go to a next round. Very early, it's only two games in, but it will certainly be a good sight to see him back in the lineup tonight in Utah if it's uh, all systems go. Besides that, with some of these games, and I know I talked about New Orleans and the Phoenix Suns, that's a series that could turn as the scene shifts to New Orleans, and the same could be said there with Chicago-Milwaukee behind DeMar DeRozan's 41 points there last night as the Bulls finally beat the Bucks this year, first time in five tries, really six when you think about it because the Bucks swept them for love in the regular season and then obviously got a leg up on them just the other day. But now with that series tied at one and with New Orleans and Phoenix tied at one, Is this an opportunity for both of these teams to maybe steal these next two games in their building to push both Phoenix and Milwaukee to the brink? I don't think so. I would think both of these teams will end up surviving. Will it go six games? Will it go seven? Off the top of my head, I will say New Orleans will probably steal another game here the next two, and then I think Phoenix will prevail in six, where I could see the Bulls maybe stealing another game too. I'm not trying to make Chris Middleton out to be a 10-time NBA All-Star, but that's a significant loss when it comes to your second leading scorer on the team and a guy that you trust out in the perimeter and also who plays good defense. So I'll give the Bulls another game as well, but I think both of these teams will prevail and move on to the next round. As far as the other series, whether it's 2-0 or 3-0, You can forget about Toronto and Philadelphia. That series is done thanks to the heroics there by Joel Embiid hitting that three in overtime. And if you're Toronto, what could you say? You had those injuries that you suffered in game one. And it's been a great year for one Nick Nurse. I know he was jawing at it with Joel Embiid there when it comes to the refs and Embiid getting too many calls. And Embiid, I don't know why he engages whether it's with coaches or players. And I hate to say this because I don't want to pound on Embiid, and Lord knows I've done so many years being on the podcast and looking at Embiid as a guy who, to me, was a Dwight Howard 2.0 clone in this regard, a guy that you can never trust in a big spot and was never a leader of men. And he liked to be that front-running guy where if it's, 104, 79, and he'll yuck it up with the fans and maybe get into the face of his opponents and he'll dance and laugh and do all that. But when the game is ugly and when they're behind, you don't see any of that. And even though he's matured a little bit on that side, but to see him engage with the big lead against the Raptors there in game two and for him to go at it with Nurse and as just typical Embiid. And you would only hope he could pipe down on that because as they go on in this postseason and they're going to need to have a locked, laser-focused Embiid who wants to be the MVP of the league, who says he's the MVP of the league, and by him getting into all that extracurricular stuff, he needs to put that aside. Just focus on the game. Don't focus on your opponent. Don't try to get into either the coach's head or other players' heads. That's not going to work. Go out and win the series. Concentrate on the next round. Go as deep as you possibly can because the bullseye is on that team's back, not necessarily Embiid's. And go from there. Forget about all the other nonsense. So the Sixers are going to be home free here with a 3-0 lead. And then you look at Atlanta and Miami with the performance that they had there after the Game 1 Sunday effort with Duncan Robinson. Now you had Jimmy Butler with a 45-point explosion as the Hawks have no answers for the Miami Heat as that series shifts to Atlanta. Can Atlanta steal a game or two? As we've seen here, 
in recent memory. You can only go back to last year, I understand. And yes, last year is last year. It's a whole new year. I get it. But you figure that Trey Young and company will do something. We get it that the Heat are well-conditioned. We know what type of defense they play. And what they've done to Trey Young here in these first two games, they've pretty much locked them down and it's been a non-factor. But you would expect that the Hawks will come out and play fiery in Game 3 to the tune of maybe Trey Young getting off to not only just a hot start, but having one of those stretches to where he has 16 or 18 points in a quarter and then pulls his team out from the fire to at least get them closer in the series. But the Heat are clicking on all cylinders. They come right out of the gate here as a one seed. And what more can you say? They've been spectacular. You have a 2-0 series lead there with the Celtics and Nets. And the Celtics last night, give it up to their defense. They just swarmed Kevin Durant from all angles. Yes, he had 27 points, but 18 of those came from the charity stripe. He shot terribly in the game for a second straight game. Was 0 for 10, I believe, in the second half. Kyrie didn't add much either. Only 10 points in the game. And if you're going to do that, your chances of winning are going to be superior. So you could let the Bruce Browns and the Goran Dragic's of the world score their points. If Durant and Irving aren't going to go off, then... Granted, it was tooth and nail. I'm not trying to say that it was a cakewalk by any stretch, but anytime you're going to hold those two guys to under 33% shooting, your chances of winning are very high. And as I mentioned earlier, between what Peyton Pritchard did in that fourth quarter... Jalen Brown elevating his game and attacking the basket. Tatum played excellent defensively. Offensively, didn't have the game that he did in game one. But the Celtics, up 2-0. Is this series over? Absolutely not. Could you see Brooklyn winning these next two games at the Barclays Center? Absolutely. To me, if the Celtics could get one of these two games, then they should be home free. But anytime those two guys have had Terrible performances, and granted again, Celtic defense, I could get on both Durant and Irving for their performances yesterday, and especially after what took place Sunday where Kyrie had 39 and was a shell of his performance there on Sunday to where that $50,000 fine because of the gestures and a lot of the stuff between he and the fans there on Sunday afternoon. But the Celtics, if they continue... This stretch of defense, which they pretty much have played like that since the beginning of the year, they're also going to be a tough out. And I think the Nets are going to bounce back here. I wouldn't be surprised they win two. I'm sure they're going to win game three. I'd be shocked if they lose that game. I could see Durant having a 43-point explosion and Kyrie following that up with 35. And then the Nets will just run the Celtics out of the gym. And then Memphis... Got back on the beam there after a dominant performance in Game 2. All is right in the world with the Grizzlies at the moment. Jaron Jackson bounced back with a nice game. Of course, you got your typical performances there from John Morant, Desmond Bain, etc. And you would think that the Grizzlies, after a Game 1, which it looked like they were sleepwalking and trying to shake out a little bit of the rust, you would think now they're going to get back to business to the team that we saw all year pretty much be that team that was on the come up, that team that, let's face it, surprised people. Yes, they did have young talent. Did a lot of people think they were going to win 56 games? I didn't see that. Were they a playoff team? Oh yeah, absolutely. If you're looking at 46 to maybe 50 wins. But now they have shown the rest of the league that, okay, game one was a little bit of a fluke. Now they'll go up to the Twin Cities to play a game three, I believe tonight. And then they'll have a game four, I believe on Saturday. So let's see what's going to happen here. Will the T-Wolves now bounce back, a little home cooking, and put the pressure on the Grizzlies to where they could take a 2-1 series lead? Or will Memphis have enough gas in the tank to where they could take a 2-1 series lead and then all the pressure will be on the T-Wolves to get back in the series? I could see Memphis now turning on the Jets here. Would I be surprised if the T-Wolves win a game three? Absolutely not. But... Something about that game the other day just made you think that game one was just one of those games where maybe a little bit of nerves crept in, or maybe it was the T-Wolves and how they came out based on the playing game, beating the Clippers. They brought some of that momentum with them down to Tennessee. 
who knows what it was, but I could see Memphis now, not to say it's going to be a five-game series. I believe I picked the Grizzlies in six. Whether or not the Grizzlies do win a game three, I think that they've set themselves up pretty well to at least take another game, especially in Minnesota, and then come back home and who knows, maybe even win a game six back at the Target Center. So to review, you have one series, which is pretty much over, Toronto and Philly. Atlanta, let's see if they could get themselves a game closer by winning tomorrow night. Brooklyn and Boston, to me, that's up in the air. I still think, even with a 2-0 series lead, because I think Brooklyn's going to come back and win a game three. Denver, Golden State. I think Golden State is going to be in the driver's seat. I wouldn't be surprised. Could it be a sweep? Quite possible. I'm going to give the Nuggets a game. I'll give them game three. But they have been no match for the Warriors. They have really been flat and have not played well and have played stellar defense on Nikola Jokic. And even Steph Curry had a much better game two than he did in game one. So if Curry's going to be close to his MVP form, then watch out. And then let's see what happens with Utah and Dallas. They're at 1-1. And the other series, New Orleans, Phoenix, Minnesota, Memphis, and then the Bulls and Bucks all at 1-1. But we would think at the end of the day, it'll be chalk and the favorites will come out on top. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that as we get into the weekend. And by the time we reconvene on Monday, we'll have just about four games in other than the Boston and Brooklyn series as game four will be Monday night. So looking forward to recapping that then. But let's turn our attention to stick with basketball for a minute and discuss Jay Wright because news came down last night that the Villanova coach was going to step down, or as I said earlier, step up, and take a new role as a special assistant to the president of the university. And in will come Kyle Neptune, who is the head coach at Fordham, pretty much right in my backyard here in the BX, who was an assistant coach and a video coordinator with the university, spent 10 years under Jay Wright, will now come back down the turnpike and be the head coach of the Wildcats. And did we see this coming? I absolutely didn't. And knowing what the Wildcats did, making it to another Final Four, and we know the track record and resume of a 1J right. We talked about it just a few weeks ago when the Wildcats were part of the Final Four. And all you can say is it was a tremendous run. Does that mean that this run is over? I can't say it is. Obviously, we all know the college basketball game, it's all about recruiting. But with what Jay Wright had done, Over the last 21 years, making that school, that institution become not only the, let's face it, the face of the Big East, and even though the Big East isn't what the Big East once was going back to the 80s and the 90s, but when you thought about which team was by far the best in that conference, the team that came to mind is Villanova. Wasn't Georgetown, wasn't St. John's wasn't any of those teams. Of course, you're not going to think of Butler and... uh, No, no, no. You're not going to think of the Marquettes. No way. You're thinking Villanova, Philadelphia, Jay Wright, all those components intertwine. And that's why they were successful here, especially over the last seven to eight years. All the Final Four appearances, I believe four in total, the two championships. And for Jay Wright, for him to now take this role and... You know he's going to have his fingerprints on this university. And the impact is going to be, at least for the time being, still going to be there. It's not as if he's taking another job or going into the NBA. But we'll see what Kyle Neptune will be as far as a guy who, of course, knows the system. Worked under Jay Wright. Can you say that they're going to skip a beat? Well, it all depends. We don't know what type of style of coaching he is. You would think he's going to be a Jay Wright, dare I say, 2.0, maybe 1.5, or maybe a clone at best. But we're going to have to wait and see. Again, it's all about the recruiting people. If you can't get the players into your gym, into your school, then what do you really have, especially when it comes to not only just college basketball, but college athletics, period. So Jay Wright, congratulations to him on a terrific run. And let's see what the future holds for one Kyle Neptune. 
All right, now let's pivot and go to the ice. Yes, people, I'll get to the NFL, I'll get to some baseball, but before I even get to that, I want to talk NHL because eight days from today will be the conclusion of a regular season, which seems to be forever, and I get it. April 29th is when you're going to end your season. It's just one of those years, people, and not just with COVID, obviously with the whole Olympic deal where the players, the pro players were not going to participate in Beijing So therefore, they had to make up a lot of those games that they missed out early in the year due to COVID. And as we take a look at the landscape, now on Monday, I wanted to get more into this wildcard race because you don't have one in the East. All the spots are set. It's just a matter of seeding. But one race that we're going to have to look at, or really two, when you think about it, are the wildcards in this regard. The Bruins have the number one wildcard spot at 99 points, but they trail the Tampa Bay Lightning by a point. And why is that pivotal? Because when it comes to seeding, if you end up being a wild card, that means you're going to have a tougher and longer trip through the postseason than you would if you're one of the top three teams in your division. And as it stands right now, Florida, who hasn't lost, it seems, in weeks, they have 116 points. So they're in cruise control where the Leafs are at 108. So those two teams are going to be in good stead. But then Tampa with 176 games played. Then the Bruins with the same amount of games played and one point behind. As we take a look at their schedule down the stretch, Tampa, who has Toronto, then Nashville, a team that's also going for a wild card bid in the Western Conference, and I'll get to them. They're at Florida. A back-to-back with Columbus, home and away, and then at the Islanders for the final game of the year. So, interesting schedule, a little bit tricky, and when you look at the Bruins schedule, they're at Pittsburgh, home to the Rangers, at Montreal, Florida, Buffalo, and at Toronto. A similar scenario, even though they have the Sabres at home and at Montreal, but you know the Canadiens are going to do whatever it takes to try to spoil the Bruin bid to advance or at least to move a little bit north in their division so both of those teams have tricky schedules the rest of the way six games left we'll see how that plays out and then in the Metropolitan you have a similar deal to where the Capitals who lost to Vegas last night and Alex Ovechkin another 50 goal scoring year as he had two goals in the game his ninth 50 goal season that ties Wayne Gretzky and the dearly departed Mike Bossy And for Ovechkin, he's the oldest guy in league history to score 50 goals in a season at the age of 36. Now has 780 goals. So currently he is, off the top of my head, and I should know this, I believe Gretzky has 893. So he has, what, 113 more goals to go in order for him to reach that? And it's interesting because when we look at Gretzky and Ovechkin, Two different sports, I get it, but it's almost similar when you think about it to where LeBron is chasing Kareem for the all-time scoring record and Ovechkin is pretty much doing the same with Wayne Gretzky. And that's something that we're obviously for down the road to keep in the back of our memory bank. But for the Capitals, as they're in a flat-foot tie with the Penguins, both at 97 points, both teams have played 77 games, The final stretch for the Capitals, they're at Arizona, Toronto, a home-and-home with the Islanders to where they're home and then away at the Islanders and then the final game of the season at the Rangers. Now, the Rangers may still have something to play for as far as the division goes because right now in the standings in the Metropolitan, they are also in a flat-foot tie with the Hurricanes. So the Rangers are going to look to try to get a top seed or at least in their division with the... Hurricanes, neck and neck. And then the Penguins will close their season with Boston at Detroit and Philadelphia, Edmonton and Columbus at home. Now Detroit and Philly, I get it. The Flyers are going to do whatever it takes to kind of knock off the Penguins, but pretty much an easy schedule there for the Penguins down the stretch as compared to the Capitals, because we know that the Islanders are going to play tough against them, and the Rangers, they may have something to play for. Now, I I get it that Arizona, they're a team that's been on the outs pretty much since January, 
But at least you have some drama, not a lot, because it's not as if this is a scenario where teams could be knocked out of the playoffs entirely. But again, we could see which teams could maybe not be part of the wildcard mix and get in as one of the top three seeds in the conference. And as we turn our attention to the West, when we look at that wildcard scenario, you have Nashville, 77 games, 93 points. The Dallas Stars, 77 games, 91 points. Vegas, 78 games. So they have given up a game in hand, not only to both of those teams, but also to Vancouver. Although the Golden Knights have 89 points and the Vancouver Canucks have 87. But as we break down that stretch, Nashville, they have at Tampa, not easy. Minnesota, definitely not easy. Calgary, at Colorado, at Arizona. That is a tough gauntlet for a Nashville team that's going to be hanging on for their dear life for that final wildcard spot. Or at least the one or the two, and currently the number one, with, as I said earlier, 93 points, Dallas Stars 91, Vegas 89, Vancouver 87. And as we look at Vegas, they have San Jose, and then their final three games are on the road at Dallas, at Chicago, at St. Louis. Going on the road, not easy. I understand Chicago, out. But Dallas and St. Louis are two teams that I'm sure are going to try to at least play well heading into the postseason. Vancouver, at Minnesota, at Calgary, home to Seattle, L.A., and then at Edmonton. This may come down to the wire. You would think that Nashville, out of the schedules there, and let's throw in Dallas, they have at Edmonton, at Calgary, and then, as a matter of fact, they played Edmonton last night, so I got to take a look at that. And that game against Edmonton, they actually lost. So let's scratch that game out. So when we're looking at their schedule, they do have at Calgary, Seattle, Vegas, Arizona, and Anaheim. So at least that last four games for the Stars are at home. So even with the loss last night, the... Stars will go to Calgary tonight, and then they'll have their final four games at home. So you would think that would put them in good position to make it into the tournament. Nashville, that's going to be a schedule that if they do come out victorious, they will earn it. And that's not to say that Nashville is going to fall out. Vegas or Vancouver, can they sneak up in to be one of the top two? Absolutely. But... I could see Nashville and Dallas flip-flopping here down the stretch to where Dallas will have that number one wildcard spot and then you can look at Nashville being the number two or can Vancouver or can Vegas be the team to leapfrog them? We'll have to wait and see as we're down to the final week or really eight days of this NHL season before we even get to the postseason. All right, quickly I'm going to hit up on some baseball. Now, there really isn't much to get into or discuss I know the big story this week was Freddie Freeman playing against his former team as the Braves came up the turnpike from San Diego to play the Dodgers. And what happened in his very first at-bat? Freddie Freeman hits a home run. And it's interesting because Freeman was a focal point of this series, not because of who he is and for the obvious reasons, but because of that opening game in his first at-bat, hitting that home run as the Dodgers end up winning. But then you also look at the second game and another reunion of sorts, this time coming back home, being a one Kenley Jansen, the former Dodger, longtime Dodger, now a member of the Braves for one year, ends up getting the save in a 3-1 victory on Tuesday night. And what was that worth? In the final out that he recorded for the game, who did he end up retiring? Yes, Freddie Freeman. And then yesterday in the rubber match, again, first inning, Freddie Freeman, two-run homer off of Charlie Morton as he gets the Dodgers going to where they take two out of three over the Braves, winning 5-1. to one. And Freeman, we all know that story, but we're waiting to find out what's going to take place in Atlanta. And when we look at the calendar, it's not as if the one-time Brave is going to face his former team, let's say, in the coming weeks. You're going to have to wait two months for that reunion to take place to where Freeman is going to make his way to Truist Park to where the Dodgers will face the Braves in Atlanta June 24th, 25th, and 26th. And I believe that's on a weekend. So I'm sure that's going to be your Sunday night baseball game. And there's going to be a lot of buildup to him returning back to the place where he was a major leaguer for, what, 12 seasons. So you have that. I know Max Scherzer, 3-0, and 
Great start for him the other night. Ten strikeouts, seven innings, one hit, no runs. As the Mets, I know I mentioned on Monday that they were playing three games against the Giants. My bad, I should have known better. They'll play the finale in a getaway day game as the Mets will go out to Arizona. San Francisco will go to Washington. Let's see if the Mets take three out of four. They've won every series so far this year, so let's see if they will continue to keep pace. Chris Bassett loses his first game yesterday as the Giants were victorious, beating the Mets 5-2. Garrett Cole, what is happening with him? He couldn't get out of the second inning the other night in Detroit. Now, thanks to a foible there with a pop-up that led to two unearned runs, that propelled the Yankees to win where the bullpen had to bail out Cole, I believe, what, seven in the third inning in order for the Yankees to secure a victory, and they won yesterday in Detroit, so let's see if they could get their wheels turning as they have another game in Detroit before they come home to play the Cleveland Guardians this weekend at the stadium. But the reason why I bring up Cole is not because of how he's gotten off to a slow start and he's not pitched well. Had five walks there in the game the other night, but it's Aaron Boone's comments in the postgame saying that, yes, it's been a struggle, but that he's close. That even though he has not gotten out of the gate the way we expect him to, but he's close. Close to what? Close to an ERA of seven? Close to maybe finally getting into a fifth inning? I mean, the guy has just been awful here to start the season. And I understand you're not going to throw your players under the bus, but for him to break out the pom-poms, as I like to say, and to think that everything is fine with Garrett Cole, you have to be a little bit concerned. And I get it. We're not even at the end of the month, but he has not had a dominant performance here to start, or not even a good performance. And you would think as the weather gets warmer, we'll start to see a bit of the old Garrett Cole, and I know we're going to see flashes, but ever since the spin rate deal, and he's had his moments, don't get me wrong, but has he been the same pitcher that he was in Houston or his first year with the Yankees? Absolutely not. So you do have to plant that seed in the back of your head to think that, all right, things are going to get better. You know, Garrett Cole's not going to end up being a fifth starter or have fifth starter type numbers, but to say that he's close, I mean, please, Aaron, come on. Who are you fooling here? You're not fooling the guys who watch baseball day in and day out. You can say that to the casual fan. You can say that to the super optimistic Yankee fan, but come on. I mean, geez, can we be a little bit, just a little honest? You don't have to say that, oh, he's been terrible, he's been awful, he's got to straighten his act. I understand you're not going to go that far, but for him to say that, oh, yeah, he's close? And two other quickies, or really three. Hunter Green made his professional debut for the Cincinnati Reds, the highly touted pick a few years ago, and threw a record 39 fastballs of 100 miles an hour in his debut start against the Dodgers to where he was actually pretty good. Five and a third, two runs, five hits, no walks, six strikeouts. So if that's a glimpse of the future, then Hunter Green is going to be the guy. So we'll have to keep an eye on him as the Reds are going to be the dregs of the National League, you would think, but he's a guy that we will certainly pay attention to and see what uh, he'll blossom into, not only being that former number one pick, but a guy that could be a next dominant pitcher in the sport. I know I didn't talk about the Seaver statue, Tom Seaver opening day. I failed to mention that on Monday's pod. To me, it's 13 years too late. Finally, they unveiled the statue. It looks beautiful, fantastic, the whole nine, long overdue. I understand it was on Jackie Robinson Day, which kind of overshadows what Jackie Robinson not only meant to baseball, but obviously to this country. But they finally did it. We all know Tom Seaver has transitioned. But again, the statue's beautiful. I'll just keep it at that. So I will make my trip out to City Field sometime in the near future, take a picture of the whole nine, and really get to bask in it. As it, like I said, they should have put this up the first year City Field in 2009. And then the Apple TV coverage, I'm only bringing this up because the Met game a couple weeks ago when Scherzer was pitching, how you had to find this game on Apple TV, and thankfully I do have Apple TV, so I did get to watch it. I know the graphics were a little video game-ish, if you ask me. I know Chris Young, the former Met and Yankee Arizona Diamondback, was the color, and forgive me for not remembering who the play-by-play announcer was, but it was a woman, and I thought she was pretty good, but again... It just didn't feel like you were watching a baseball game. And this isn't a knock. The woman who was behind the mic at the play-by-play and Chris Young, but 
Maybe I just need to watch a few more times in order to get a better feel. I'm not going to say they were terrible. I'm not going to say they were great. But, again, it didn't feel like I was watching a baseball game. I'll just leave it at that. All right, as far as the NFL goes, you have some interesting developments there, especially when it comes to wide receivers. And the reason why I say that is because earlier this week, you had three players said that they were going to hold out for extensions considering the money that Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill, and Devontae Adams got here so far this offseason. Now, granted, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill were both via trade. So when you have a guy like A.J. Brown, the Titans wide receiver, and then Terry McLaurin from the Washington Commanders, and to top that off, Debo Samuel, well, Samuel's the one guy that's come out to say, I want out, requesting a trade from the Niners as he looks to get that big payday. I don't know what has happened there in the past few days that has caused a rift between he and maybe the front office or the organization. Who knows? I don't know if there's been a disconnect between he and the coach, but he wants out. And that comes a bit of a surprise. I get it. He wants to get his money. And for him to request that at this juncture, you got to wonder if the Niners are going to accommodate him in what I call Debo making a power move or a player empowerment move a la the NBA. Now, I don't know if he's has a team in mind that he wants to get traded to or does he just want out and then start off with a new team to where he gets his big contract. So he hasn't listed any teams. I don't know if there is a team laying in the weeds that he or a city that he wants to go to. That we'll have to wait and see. But Debo is a guy that wants out and he wants to have the big payday. And then there's Cooper Cup who said that he's looking for a fair deal for both he and the team, which in this day and age, you'll never hear anything like that. But Cooper Cup, he's a guy that comes from very modest beginnings. I'm sure you saw his story during the Super Bowl, how going to a small school and being with his wife where he pretty much had to scrap and scrounge just to kind of stay afloat. And then we've seen the success that he's had here in the league to not only winning a championship, but also a Super Bowl MVP that he just wants his just due, but what's fair for both he and the team. He wants to stay in L.A. Who the hell wants to leave L.A. considering the weather, the environment, etc. And they just come off from winning a Super Bowl. But let's see if the Rams put their money where their mouth is because they certainly have done so with Matthew Stafford and understandably so at $160 million going toward his bank account. Same for Bobby Wagner at 50 mil. Allen Robinson, another wide receiver, three years for $46.5 million with money already tied into Aaron Donald, and he's going to look for a long-term contract, or at least that final one. And Jalen Ramsey, is there anything left for Cooper Cup? Now, they don't have to worry about drafting and paying a number one pick, which is good for them, but they're going to have to look under the sofa cushions and break out the piggy bank to see if there's anything left for a guy who is arguably the best wide receiver in football right now. So we'll have to see how that shakes down there in L.A. And then one other thing. Deshaun Watson, I know he made an appearance at the facility with a voluntary workout with the Browns in the snow. Here we are in mid-April. What are the Browns going to do here with Baker Mayfield? I mean, I understand they're going to trade him. That's not a secret. But for Baker Mayfield to be nowhere in sight, and understandably so, and with everything that he's said this offseason, you would think that the Browns are on the phones to try to get whatever. And granted, they're not going to get a boatload of number one picks back. If they think that's the case, they need to look elsewhere. Because at best, you're probably going to get a number two. But I would think you're probably going to get a package starting with a number three. And if you're the Browns, that's what you're going to do to... Not necessarily get rid of this guy, but you want to make sure that, all right, Baker, you know the direction that we're going in. Here we go. We're going to trade you to this team or whatever it is. Because the disrespect that was shown based on what Baker Mayfield said by the organization, you would think that they would do anything and everything to get Baker out of town and to start the Deshaun Watson era off on a flying note. And for Watson to show up and Baker not to be found 
it makes you wonder whether or not the Browns still, oh, yeah, we do have Baker Mayfield on the team. We have to trade him at some point. Do we not? But that's the Browns for you. The Browns being the Browns. And you would think there's going to be a lot of chatter between now and next Thursday as the draft is just a week away. And all I could say is, where is he going to go? I don't know. Is the trade going to be consummated? I guess. There hasn't been anything in the rumor mill whether Baker wants to be traded to this team or I guess you would think he has a choice that he would want to go to. Now, there are not that many teams that are looking for quarterbacks. I know the Panthers have said they're going to go with Sam Darnold. So Carolina may be out. Is Seattle an option? The backup job in Tampa, which I'm sure Baker doesn't want to go to because he probably feels that he's not a backup anywhere, even if it is Tom Brady. Could he go to Miami maybe for Tua to back him up? Or maybe even compete? And Tua said that he's not feeling any pressure with all of the acquisitions that have happened this offseason. Obviously Tyreek Hill, Chase Edmonds, Jalen Waddles there, the tight end, etc. We'll see. This is one of those under-the-radar type of storylines that maybe not a lot of people are paying attention to, but because he was a former number one overall pick and Mr. Progressive and Hulu and all the other commercials... It is fascinating to know that this guy's still on the team. And the Browns seem to be taking their sweet time and trying to trade him off. And then lastly, this scenario with Wimbledon banning players from Russia or Belarus not to participate in the Wimbledon, which will take place mid to late June into July is very bold, and I understand they're taking a stance, but simultaneously, the Neil Medvedev, who I believe currently is ranked number two in the world, he's a guy that is not going to be gracing the green grass of the Old England Club there in the early part of summer. Was it a bit premature for them to do so? Listen, Wimbledon is similar to the Masters when it comes to exclusivity, when it comes to maybe even classism. I kind of hate to put it in that regard, but it's true. But I'm sure it was a decision that they thought long and hard because Medvedev is a top player. And when you have a guy of his ilk not being able to go up against the likes of Novak Djokovic, who did come out and say that the decision was crazy. And him being a guy that was a child of war in Serbia and understood completely, but just thought it was out of line. But we all know that the world is trying to unite here with everything that's taken place in Russia, in Ukraine here over the last several weeks that I don't want to say that they had no choice but to do so. Was it a bit premature? Maybe you could think so because Wimbledon is still not until a couple of months, but I guess they had to take action and they thought that this was the best action or the best way to proceed. This is a time that we're all living in. And I get it with cancel culture and, oh, why are we going to do this, blah, 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 etc. It's a tough break. It really is. And it's easy for me to be behind a microphone to assess what the people and the powers that be at Wimbledon had to go ahead and say, sorry guys, and gals for that matter, we are not going to have you participate this year in this tournament. Is it a bit premature like I mentioned a second ago? Quite possibly, but at the same time, I mean, who am I to say whether or not here on April 21st that it's a scenario where they could go ahead and just say, you know what, the heck with it. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and not have these guys play. And if the war ended tomorrow, oh well, you're just going to have to sit it out. So well, I don't even know what else more I can tell you. So all I'll say is I understand why they did it. And even though it's still two months away, maybe they could have paused it for another month and at least 
not to say giving it more thought because obviously they made their decision. They knew that this is what they were going to do moving forward and they figured, hey, let's just get it out right now and move on so that we don't have to worry about in the middle of the night sometime in May whether we should do this or not. So maybe it is a bit rash, but I can understand why they did it. And you may not agree with it, and to a certain extent I don't, which sounds contradictory, but it is a tough call, and thankfully I'm not the one that's in charge here. So be that as it may, it's one that is polarizing to say the least, and is there a right or wrong answer? Who knows? But considering the climate and everything that's happening in the world, I guess this was a decision that had to be done now as opposed to later. All right, and I'll do it. One thing, I didn't mention Denzel Ward getting the contract who, speaking of the Cleveland Browns earlier, now has the distinction of being the top-paid cornerback in the NFL. Five years, $100 million, $71.25 million guaranteed. We all know that he's a good corner. Is he an $100 million corner? And I get that that's the going rate for corners in this day and age. But man, Denzel Ward, congratulations to you, my guy. I guess you must have Scott Boris as your agent or maybe even Drew Rosenhaus. We know the type of clout he has throughout the sport. He's that sports Scott Boris. But at the same time, is Denzel Ward your top guy? And this tops what Xavier Howard of the Miami Dolphins got. And I think Howard is a much better corner than Denzel Ward is. So kudos to him and what he got as I'll close out the podcast on that note. Once again, people, I appreciate you stopping by to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports. I certainly do not take your participation for granted. Thank you so much. And in doing so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. You know the platforms where you need to hit up. You can also go to the website at jreels.com. And throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate that. Also, if you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so on TikTok at the J Reels Podcast, on Instagram, J Reels, also the J Reels Podcast, on Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, on Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, as well as the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever you want to send, please do so, and I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. What that will do, whatever you want to put forth, will go 100% to this podcast, to this endeavor, to the production, to the website, to the equipment. Everything that you hear from my microphone to your earbuds or speakers, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I say all the time. I've been talking sports pretty much since birth, since I came out of the womb. Thank you, Mom. And on top of that, to share my critiques, my opinions, analysis, thoughts, anything and everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>